Simon is uh, an exploration of uh, what what does it mean to be a Central American restaurant in a place like LA. The essence of what we do is always going to come from Central America, uh, mostly like the flavor profiles or ingredients that we use. But at the same time, like a place like LA being so diverse and so funky and so mixed and so interesting, how do we fusion those two ideas and those two things into a restaurant that hopefully is creating a language of, of, of its own? Amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to another episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast where we dig deep into the roots of cuisine from around the country, one plate at a time. I'm your host, Emmanuel Roche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the country. And today, we are embarking on a tasting journey from Panama to Venice near LA. Our guide is Chef Jose Carles, the maestro behind the renowned Don de Jose and Fonda Lokei in Panama City, and his new restaurant, Simon, S-I-M-O-N, in LA. In this episode, we'll explore the rich landscape of Panamanian cuisine as Chef Carles will share his insight into the food that define his beautiful country. So grab your headphones and let's set off on this culinary adventure with Chef Jose Carles. Hi, Chef. How are you? Very good, Emmanuel. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very excited to have you finally on my podcast, Flavors Unknown. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Before we hit record, we were trying to remember when was the last time we saw each other, and I believe it is in 2017. It was in Panama City, and uh, I was having dinner at your restaurant called Don de Jose, which you know I had as well the chance to to dine, you know, a couple of years before that, and that was a fantastic experience. And I discovered your interpretation of the you know Panamian cuisine, and I I really loved you know your style of cooking and the ambiance at Don de Jose, like very small. You know, restaurants, if I remember, it was like 16 seats or something like this. And I had the chance to be at the, at the, the counter, which is like the chef counter where you were preparing everything and telling stories. And I fell in love with, you know, everything that you were, you know, offering at that time. So I'm so glad that we, we are able to talk again. And because you have a, now a restaurant in, in LA. So just to give a little bit of context of why we are talking. Amazing, amazing. Yes, we're not. So crazy. 2017 was that, right? Yes. Here we are now. <laughs> it was 2017, and uh, yeah, it was Don de Jose, and it was, and it was as well the Fonda Loquei in another part of the old location in, you know, in Casco Viejo, which is the old uh, part of, of the I old could, part of the city of Panama City. 
I think you actually went to the first, first ever location of Lokiai, which was not even like like a restaurant yet. I think it was just like a concept, an idea. And then we moved it to the second location where we oh. were from 2018 to 2000, November 2020. I don't think you get to saw no, see I that I didn't one. see that one, no. Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, to be honest, it was very interesting because it was still very rock and roll, you know, very kind of like people making the lines, not like a, a shop board you order at a counter. And then obviously now that we're in this location after closing Don De Jose, um, it became more like a complete, re- complete restaurant with like full service bar, all these different things, you know? So for the people that are listening and usually, you know, we have, you know, people that are being first generation or second generation, you know, or third generation of, you know, of immigrants in, in an open restaurant in, in the U.S., you have a different, I would say, picture here. So you are coming from Panama, you're born in Panama. So can you explain first as well, maybe some people don't know, where, where is Panama? Where is it located? So Panama is in beautiful Central America in between Costa Rica and Colombia. It's actually the, the only country in all the continent of America that instead of going north to south, actually goes east to west. So it's the only country too in the whole continent where to the north, instead of having another country on, on the south, another country, you actually have uh, two oceans, the Pacific on the south and the Caribbean Ocean, Atlant- uh, Caribbean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean to the north. So you're just like blessed with nature and cultures and anything that you can imagine. How would you describe the, the food in, of Panama? So I would say that the food of Panama is as diverse as the people, as the history. You know, like a lot of people don't know this, but Panama was the first ever colonization in the whole Pacific side, in the whole continent of America. So from day one, basically, I want to say day one, we're talking like, late 1400s, you know, when like the Pacific um, Ocean or the South Ocean, like they call it back then, was discovered. Like we were, we had like a huge influx of people coming from different parts of the world, starting with Spanish. But after that, obviously, like everything, you know, Italian, we were like at some point invaded by the English Corsar- uh, Corsarios, Corsarios, I don't know if that's the same word in, in English. So with the railroads, then we have like the... Chinese community coming in, Afro-Caribbean, you know, anything, French. So basically from day one, it's been a country that is as big of a, of a melting pot as America, you know, as, as LA. So starting like that, I would say like, even though it's very small, it's very regional. If you go to the Caribbean side, you're going to find a lot of coconut, a lot of spices, a lot of heat, a lot of seafood, you know, hot sauce on the tables. If you go to like the ocean part of the Pacific, you know, more like cleaner, kind of like fish and plantains and like soups in the center, a lot of corn, a lot of rice, a lot of beans, a lot of meat, a lot of reserved smokiness, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so there's so many things depending where you are, but definitely you can see ingredients wise, we kind of like share the same things with, you know, Latin cultures when it comes to ingredients. Maybe we use some in a different ways than the other, but you know, from root vegetables to, again, to like beans, rice, fish. So yeah, very interesting, very flavorful. You know, we're not afraid of, uh, of umami in our own way. You know, we're definitely not subtle when it comes to cooking. 
and we're not afraid to have like a hot boiling soup in the middle of the day, you know, when it's sunny and hot too. So we just love it, you know. We love you were you were talking about (laughs) smoke, and I I do remember like the the impact on smoke and the way how you included smoke in some of the dishes at uh, Don de Rosé. So what what kind of of wood you know is used uh, for smoking in in Panama? So we use the most traditional is called nance, which nance is a tree that develops a fruit that looks like a small berry, almost like a gooseberry, but like very bright yellow in color. And it has like a very particular flavor. People use this fruit to make a very traditional dessert called pesada, which is almost like a, like a custard, but there's no eggs in it. And the tree is, you know, like the branches every time there's like a harvest or something, they're used as the most traditional wood, and it does have like a very particular smell to it. So that's kind of like the the one to go. I mean, there's other ones like hickory or mangle, which I think mangle, I don't know what's mangle in English, but it's like the mangrove wood, you know, which is very, very common. So I think that's kind of like where we go, most likely. Okay. And where did you have like a specific you know, fruits in, in, you know, Panama, you know, I know, for instance, like, you know, in Mexico, they have mamey, for instance, or you, know, you have other fruits, you know, in other parts, uh, um, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, guanabana in, you know, in other parts of um, Latin countries. So I don't know if there's something specific for Panama City. I mean, very, very but, much the same, like all those fruits are very common for like tropical areas. So like guanabana, mamey, I mean, we have this called mangosteen, which is insane, you know, like it's almost, it looks like on the outside, like, like almost like purple, but on the inside, it's like a leashy kind of thing with a different shape. One of the best fruits ever. We have pixbae, which is also known as chontaduro, which is like the one that grows in palm trees. It's like starchy, yellow, nutty, and very unique. I mean, all of these things obviously are all parts of uh, Latin America too. But you know, like our papaya is like probably like, in my opinion, the best in the world. Our pineapples are right there too. One of the, like, I like to think they're the best in the world because to be honest, <laughs> I haven't tried anything better, even like in Costa Rica or Colombia, where I try like almost as good, but not <laughs> the same. <laughs> so, I mean, mangoes, bananas, plantains, you know, like there's so many things. Okay. So many. <laughs> What do you think that makes Panamanian cuisine unique, you know, on the global culinary stage? Our identity got lost very fast when we were, we were colonized. So I think at some point it made us a bit more diverse when it comes to cultures inside of the country. And I think like a lot of countries, you know, like you go to Colombia and you have like this huge like arepa culture or this like, Something like that, or to Mexico and like the tacos. Like, I think like Panama has like a little bit of everything, you know, like you can, you can grow in a family in Panama that all they grew up eating was like Chinese food because probably they grew up like in a part of the country where like it's heavy on like Chinese community and food. Same like in a different part, it's more like Afro. May I grew up in like in with Italian heritage. So like I grew up eating a little pasta. I have friends that have like, uh, I don't know, like Argentinian descent. So they grew up eating a lot of meat. So I think like that's the biggest difference. It's like in, in the culinary scene, you see a lot of diversity, you know, in, in our country. 
how do you see like like the influence of Colombia compared to other countries, knowing that, you know, from a history standpoint, you know, at one moment, Panama was part of like the, what was called like the bigger, you know, the bigger Colombia. So, yeah. so do you, do you think that there have been quite a bit of impact at that time on, you know, like food influences? A hundred percent. I think like for me, to be honest, I see everything from kind of like Guatemala to mostly Colombia, some parts of Venezuela. I think like I, I see us as a region, you know, I think I see us like, like, still, even though, like, still today from a food standpoint, you, you said. Yes. And I think like, even though like there's different recipes here and there, I think like the essence of the ingredients and flavors we're so connected, you know, like you can try something in Colombia that you never tried in your life and somehow find a connection to Panama or in Guatemala or in Salvador. So I think, to be honest, for me, the more I, I cook, the more I look for inspiration, the more I trying to understand like the message that we want to send, the more I kind of like open my mind to that idea. Because at the end, somehow we, we all kind of like come from the same place and Kind of like have shared like such a huge history, you know? So yeah, I, I definitely say that the answer is yes, you know, to your question. I, I think I told you several times that my really top experience going there, it's as simple as going to the fish market and pick, you know, select my fish and seafood and, and, and go and bring it to the restaurant upstairs and ask them to, you know, to cook it for me. So that's, you know, <laughs> they cannot be, you know, more fresher than that. So that's really, exactly. that's really nice experience. <laughs> but enough talking, talking about, you know, the Panamanian cuisine, I, I want to talk about you. So if you, Come back in time. What got you into cooking as a, you know, as a career? I always like cooking. I think even like as a young kid, like I used, to, I used to love eating. First of all, so much. <laughs> I still do. And I remember like there was a moment in time where my mom is like, okay, like if you're gonna keep eating like this, you gotta learn how to cook because I cannot be just like cooking for you every time you're hungry. <laughs> like I was like too much, you know. So I start like always like if I wanted to like eat pancakes, I will tell my mom, teach me how to make pancakes or teach me how to make this pasta or how to make like this like simple roast chicken. And I think like once I started getting like a hang of like feeling comfortable in the kitchen, which was like before I was like 10 years old, you know, very, very uh, young, I kind of like started sticking to these things that I really liked. It was probably like three or four recipes, like a pasta, pomodoro, like a roast chicken and here and there, I would like always look for a recipe, but very occasionally I would do something different than those two. And it's funny because somehow only doing two things all the time, I will always try to like make it better than the time before. And it almost like with two recipes, I learned so much about cooking, you know, about like the detail and the difference between temperature and seasonings and what if I do this? What if I do that? And and that's kind of like something that naturally was there. And I think like as I was getting older, I tried different things in my, before I started cooking. Uh, but I always cooked on my time off. I lived in Costa Rica by myself for two years. So I had to cook for myself. I lived in Ecuador for a while. And yeah, but to be honest, I truly, what happened is like, I was kind of like very lost. I was not really knowing where my life was going. I was, I think like 23, 24 years old. And my dad was like, hey, might as well 
try cooking, you know, like you like cooking, like, like why not? Like maybe you like it, you know, like, well, you need to find something to do because I cannot support you. <laughs> yep. For, when he told me that, I was like, you know what? Like, I think like the only reason I didn't try cooking before is because I knew how demanding it was, you know, like the career, you know, the restaurant, hospitality industry. But I was like, you know what? It's true. I need to do something and might as well try something that I enjoy. And I remember asking a friend that owned a restaurant in Panama, like if I could come and just like work for free for a couple of days just to see if I liked it. And I remember like day one I was there, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. You know, like this is my thing. Like I love every single aspect of walking into a kitchen. And yeah, that was probably 13, 14 years ago. And that's how I got hooked. Okay, so you haven't you haven't been to like a culinary school, correct? So you learn. I did. Oh, you did. Okay. Yes. After I after I found out that I liked it, I I went to a culinary program in Panama first for like a year and a half while I while I was still working. So I I wanted you know I wanted to do like the whole kind of like I'm late, so I need to push harder than the rest, kind of. And then I ended up moving to doing a second advanced cooking program in Le Cordon Bleu in Sydney, Australia. So I I had the you know you know the blessing of being able to go there and I worked in a couple of amazing places where I was still uh, studying and that's how like where my formal training happened. How would you describe your culinary style today? Not just Panamanian but Central American more and more. I think I'm embracing the fact, again, like to see us as a region. And I think it depends. You know, I think like my cooking in both my restaurants today, you know, as you know, I had on the Jose, which was kind of like fine dining. And I think both Fonda Lo Que Hay and now Simon here in LA, it's kind of like food that is accessible when it comes to understand what you're eating, but definitely with a fine dining filter behind it, you know, when it comes to techniques, preparations, not necessarily something that is very visible, but definitely like the fine dining, like standards and techniques behind it. Very unique. I think I like flavorful, not shy flavors. And definitely like I like always to have like some sort of like wow factor in everything that we do, but very based on our history or ingredients or influences, but also like my personal experiencing life not just cooking so you went to culinary school so there you obviously learn like the traditional you know standard like uh, cooking techniques and and i'm always curious when i i talk to chefs that have a background that comes from you know outside of the u.s is have you you know experienced in central america some interesting culinary techniques that come from maybe traditional dishes and traditional way of making food that that were really adding something new and you know compared to like what you learn at school oh so much i think like in cooking school you i mean i went to le cordon bleu which was like french so i think definitely like french cooking in general is like one of the best bases you can have for learning how to cook and you can easily apply it to any cooking in the world but definitely like by being in Panama and going around Central America and, you know, trying to explore that is where I feel like I learned most of the things and I got inspiration. Not, not all of it comes from that, but definitely. And 
For example, let's talk about Salvador, you know, like pupusas. Oh my God. I mean, like, it's like some of the most delicious things you can ever eat or things that they do with some of the same ingredients that we have, like nugados, which is kind of like a yuca donut situation. The way they use corn, you know, like it's very funny because Panama probably is the only country in Central America that doesn't use corn tortillas, like, you know, like Mexican style corn tortillas or tostadas. It's literally the only country, but if you go to like Guatemala, having like tacos or tostadas is super common. Arepa uh, in, you know, Colombia and Venezuela. Arepas in Colombia, very, very similar to like the fried tortillas that we do in Panama. So, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because it's almost like we have the same ingredients, but they have like different ways of preparing it. So, I mean, I can, I can stay here talking for a long time about all the things that I feel find inspiration, but. 100%. I think like there's so many things that I see when I go to Salvador, Guatemala or uh, Colombia, Costa Rica that I feel like, oh, I could be doing this in Panama and who says it's not Panamanian also, you know? Sure. And you have as well a certain way of using an uh, fire in the cooking? Yeah, I think of Panama mostly like on the on the countryside, on the Pacific or central coast area. It's a, a smoking meat as a preservation it's very, very common. So what happens like the, the beef and pork, like beef in Panama has like maybe some of the most amazing flavor, but like texture wise or like marbling wise, it's not necessarily like as high level as you will find like even Costa Rica or Colombia or Guatemala who, who are places that have like areas with like higher altitude and like different weather. You know, but like pork is definitely like some of the best in the world. But when it comes to like, let's say beef, like the most traditional thing that people do is this uh, thing called matanza, which is kind of like, sounds harsh, but it's like a slaughter party, you know, where they will sacrifice um, one or two animals and they will feed like a whole community, you know, and this thing starts very early. And one of the main things that they do is like, they will get all the meat from all the animal, all the parts, and they will cut it like in a very specific way. It's like kind of like strips and like thinner, and they will slightly cure with salt, some achote, some garlic, some culantro, and it will be a combination of putting it over a very low smoking wood. It's not crazy hot. It's almost sometimes like indirect, but at the same time, because it's like a whole day process, it's also under the sun. So things are kind of like in a very particular temperature, you know, like smoking and cooking. And usually what people do is like after that, you can preserve that for a long time. And basically what people will do is that they will, after it's been through this process, they will fry. And that's probably one of the most common things you can find in traditional restaurants. We call it tasajo uh, in Panama. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing the way, and I think that's like the way mostly also like if you go to Darien or Cunayala, which is where you'll see a lot of like more like indigenous kind of like communities, basically they don't, they don't have salt. So a lot of the flavor comes from smoke. You know, they will kind of like hang things or like wrap things in banana leaves or like get fish and like smoke the fish and then do a soup. So that's kind of like where their flavor comes from, you know, from the smoke. So definitely it's a huge part of our culinary traditions. So talk to us a little bit about Fonda Lokea in, in Panama City. How, how would you describe the, the, the concept of the restaurant? 
and, and the food that you serve there? I think that Fondalokai was and still is, and I say this very humbly, a revolutionary restaurant for the country. I think it was the first restaurant that found a way to bring the best things of both kind of like fine dining, but like super casual into a concept where like the value for money, the environment, uh, the music we play, like the decor, uh, it, it made it fun, you know, like it made it kind of like about truly experiencing like an authentic situation, not afraid of combining things in fun ways, presenting them in kind of like a very colorful, fun ways of eating, you know. So, yeah, I would say it's like my own personal take on what I feel is the personality of like most Panamanians, you know. Which is no filters. We're loud. We love life. You know, we love mixing things in ways that they shouldn't, but somehow things work. You know. <laughs> you know, I had a dish there, and I, you know, I of course I have to show it to you because I, I do not remember the the name, you know, of it, and you're probably going to see it if I show it to you like this. This was oh, yeah. amazing. So, of course, no one can see the picture. I'm going to post it you know, on the website and as well. I will have it on the, yes. on the social media. But can you describe and mention what's the name of that dish and describe what it is? So, yeah, basically that dish is like top two things that build uh, our business to start with. So it's like the one thing that I cannot ever in my life take from the menu and it's the one thing that no matter where I go in the world, I try to do a version of it, not necessarily exactly the same. And that is a, a yuca tostada of tuna carpaccio. So the tostada is a very uh, detailed process where we get raw yuca or cassava, as also people know, with a little bit of butter, a little bit of cornmeal, a little bit of sugar some salt, and we process that raw until it becomes a paste. Then we have to perfectly stretch it into super thin layers that are steamed first, then are cooled down, cut into rectangles, and then deep fried to get like super crispy. So we do that. On top of that, we do cachucha, sorry, ají dulce or ají tropito pepper alioli then we have like the tuna carpaccio who's uh, that is very thin it's basically many layers of tuna that are overlapped to create this kind of like square looking carpaccio that covers the whole thing that is seasoned with achiote oil which is one of the most common things or most important things in our cooking in panama and achiote and tuna is probably one of the most amazing beautiful combinations you can ever have and then just like a little bit of salt, lime zest, pepper, scallions, and it comes with an onion ceviche on the side. So the whole idea was like, I wanted to do like a tostada that looked different, tastes different, but also combined it with the concept of uh, ceviche without being a ceviche. So that's why I like the ceviche part is on the onions. I, I, I love that. <laughs> that dish was amazing. That was a <laughs> wonderful experience. But let's talk about obviously Venice and LA 
and your new adventure, you know, with a Simon towards in you know in Venice. So, what inspired you to to open this restaurant in in the Los Angeles area? Basically, my wife's work. She's a filmmaker. She even be, being in Panama, she was getting like crazy amount of calls to be working here. So she will be. She's American. She's she's born in the states, and basically, uh, she used to come go back to Panama. Next week, another call. Next week, another call. And it was just like, at some point, I was like, I think you need to be in LA because it's crazy. You know, the amount of work that you're getting from there and how can you compare film industry in LA versus Panama? I love my country. Film industry is beautiful. But again, you're talking about like the Mecca, right? And the consistency and the pay and, and everything, you know, it's, uh, so at the end, like the whole thing that we said was like, okay, Go settle, and I'll, I'm gonna be visiting you, visiting you every couple of months. You're gonna come back every couple of months, and on at some point we're gonna figure something out. But the plan was always like, okay, I need to open something. And the first idea was to open a fonda lo que hay in LA. I did explore that idea with a couple of friends. I looked for spaces. Nothing was really sinking in, and then two things happened. One. I realized that truly like Fonda Lokai is unique. I don't think there can be two Fonda Lokais. I think Fonda Lokai is meant to be in Panama the way it is. And who knows, maybe in the future that's different. But for now, that's kind of like how I felt. And that was one. And the second one is over the two years of being coming back and forth, I developed an incredible friendship with the masterminds behind kind of like the whole situation here in LA happening called Louis and Nettie Ryan. We never really talk about doing business together, but they own restaurants. Hatch a Hole, who had a Michelin star. Menotti's Coffee Shop, which is amazing. They have one in Culver City, Venice, and the other one is in Tokyo. They have a townhouse, which is one of the most historical places. And for many, many years, they were involved in some of the coolest like music bars that launched some of the greatest music careers that you can imagine. So... At some point, like literally, I think it was like November last year, I already knew I was going to be here in January, but I still had no plans. I was still kind of like, okay, after two years, I'm going to go and I'll find a way. If that means I need to be cooking for someone else, you know, but I need to, you know, I need to be with my wife and support and be, be, be together. And I literally came back with that mentality in January. And literally, I think like as soon as I landed i think like the day after or like hours after i landed louis ryan was like hey I, I need to show you something so i met him and we walked into this space and i think it was something kind of like so do you want to do this or what <laughs> i was like hell yeah <laughs> great right now. <laughs> and yeah that's how the simon history wow started okay <laughs> so this is not strictly a panamanian restaurant correct it's more like the idea of like Central American cuisine or? Yes. We said that Simon is the way we define it is kind of like an exploration of what, what does it mean to be Central American restaurant in a place like LA? That's a kind of like our take on it. And what does that mean? First of all, that obviously like the essence of what we do is always going to come from Central America, mostly like the flavor profiles or ingredients that we use. But at the same time, like a place like LA being so diverse and so funky and so mixed and so interesting, full, like in a state that has like the best produce in the country, 
access to absolutely everything. How do we fusion those two ideas and those two things into a restaurant that hopefully is creating a language of, of, of its own, you know, like, uh, because I, I don't want to make it like from the local, you know, like it's, it's the essence and is there some concepts and ideas, probably like two or three things and definitely like a seasoning here and there. But besides that, like, yeah, our main goal is like, if you go to Simon and then you go to Fonda Lokei or vice versa, you have like, uh, you can understand why they're like come from the same place and that probably like the chef behind both is uh, the same, but that you still go like, oh yeah, but they're completely different in ambience, in food, in styles, ingredients. So can you talk to us about like one or two dishes that maybe you hope that they are going to become like, you know, like the, the, the anchor dishes on, of your menu? You know, it's, it's interesting, but I would say that, well, right now I, I do have a version of that dish that you like in Fonda Lokei. It is smaller. The seasonings are slightly different. It doesn't come with the ceviche onions. It does that shot is smoked. There is black lime, which is very kind of like citrusy. And that's definitely like top two bestsellers. We do this kind of like Caribbean, Asian, style like shrimp dumplings and kind of like an uh, curried bisque with some oils and some like fresh herbs that definitely is become like one of the number one things besides that i mean to be honest like i feel very proud that everything on the menu people really really loves so i am trying hard not to let people fall too much in love with dishes so I don't need to keep them forever besides a couple. <laughs> but to be honest, like we have everything has like a great acceptance. I mean like seasons change it a lot, change very fast here. So I that's an opportunity for me. But I mean we have a huge area of the menu that is kind of like raw cold dishes. Like probably like there's like nine items on the menu to ten in a menu that is like 20 items like a ceviche like ceviches tostadas and i can tell you like we have like this like uni like a sea urchin little neck clam and quail egg shooter that the liquid base is like a smoked achote ponzu oh wow and has like like smoked onion oil and cilantro flowers and and it's just like crazy and people go crazy for it and it's so unique and then we have like a ceviche that is made with culantro, but the, the main produce is like a East Coast surf clam. And it's saved like with platane chips and it's like insane. And right now we have like a seasonal ceviche, which is kind of like a campachi actually coming from Panama in a coconut leche de tigre with some other spices. And then we have like this right now, like a citrus, a market citrus tostada, like with pomegranate, like cashew butter, sesame. So we have like all these things that are creating like a big impact. Then we have like a guacho, which is like a rice porridge that we do it like uh, with braised clams and Panamanian rum and bell peppers. And it's amazing. We're going to be doing it with crab soon. We have patacones, which people go crazy, you know, tostones, but we do it with green bananas instead of green plantains because you cannot really find really good plantains here. And it ends up being like very unique, completely different to a traditional patacon. Our coconut rice, people go crazy for. So it's, I mean, people, we're blessed, you know, like people, we have a great acceptance and our menu is not huge. Uh, but I'm feeling hungry. Definitely now. powerful. 
<laughs> I'm feeling hungry. I know where to go on my next trip to uh, to LA. And by the way, for everyone who is listening, they definitely need to go to uh, Venice and and you know uh, make a reservation at uh, Simon and uh, hopefully um, you know see you, uh, Chef. Oh, that would be amazing. There's one thing that I really loved at Dandere, and um, you know it's you telling stories and. And, you know, telling stories was the name of, you know, the menus that you had at that time. And I thought it was like very clever. And, and I hope that, you know, you had the chance to come back and tell stories on, you know, fine dining, you know, one day, depending on how the, you know, the, the market and the industry is evolving in the next years to come. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So let's let's talk about you know the rapid fire questions because I'm I'm looking at the time as well for you. So have you had the chance to explore a little bit LA since you arrived and taste things or it's like work 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 and you didn't have too much time to because I have a question usually that I ask my guests is and I don't know if I can ask it you know or if we have to select Panama City for instance but the idea is that you and I are going on a tasting tour and then you are showing me five spots that you really like, but that are not obviously I've seen, I've your enough. spots. Yes, I, I've seen enough. Okay, uh, not as much as I would like to because LA is crazy. Yes, big, but like and enough to and take a lot of traffic time. as well to go from <laughs> one point to another. <laughs> yes. So, so can you well, mention like uh, a few spots that uh, you really love than in LA? Okay, let's start in this area. Like when it comes to Venice. I really like this place called Dudley Market, which is on uh, Dudley Street. It's a super, like, hip, cool place. You know, like, they're playing, like, the, the how you call it, like, the, the vinyl, like this. They have, like, natural wines, and they are very involved with the fishermen. They're actually fishermen themselves. So it's all about, like, super pure seafood preparations with the best of qualities and their burger, which is probably one of the only non-seafood things on the menu. I would say so far is my favorite a burger in LA. I would say also in this area, you cannot not have the tacos in front of Whole Foods on Lincoln. The pastor is amazing and they have other ones. It's like $2 tacos, like always a line. Amazing. Then one of my to-go spots every time I have visitors, it will be uh, Whole Box. Whole Box is Chef Gilberto is doing such an amazing job. And somehow it reminds me a little bit of the first versions of Loque Eye. It's inside, it's in downtown LA and it's inside uh, Mercado La Paloma, which is like almost like a community center slash food court. And he has Whole Box, which is uh, Mexican, mostly from the Yucatan area. Seafood heavy, so tostadas, ceviches, blood clams, lobsters, beautiful. I think it was named very recently, a couple of months ago, like number one in, in the LA Times restaurant, a restaurant of the year. That's amazing. Also, Hatchet Hall, which is not just because it's part of my, uh, Louis and Nettie, my partners here, like a group. It's, it's amazing. It's such a beautiful place when it comes to talking about the South culture, you know, south, Southern food, you know, beautiful. And I would say, again, I have plenty, but like one last that is very special for me. Um, I'll give you two more. <laughs> like I'll give you two more. One is called Found Oyster in the kind of like East LA, Silver Lake, I think area. And it's beautiful, almost like 
if you're going into like a, like a Boston style like seafood place, you know, so all the oysters come from the owner's farm. I think somewhere in Massachusetts, and they have the best clam chowder, and they always have like super cool seafood specials. And lastly, in San Gabriel Valley, there is a a place I still don't know the name to be honest, but I've been there like 15 times because the name is in it's a it's a huge Chinese community, and the name I think is literally always in Chinese. My wife knows the English name, but it's like a hot pot restaurant, and this place. Oh my God, like the options for sauces, for toppings is always packed. I mean, probably it's just like easily, I would say anything between 150 and 200 people. There's always a line and there's like no one at the door. Like literally there's a book. If a space opens up, somebody will come like, okay, next. But like, (laughs) it's like amazing. And probably like the times I've been there, um, out of 200 people, maybe like, I'm one of the only like five non-Asian people. So, you know, the place is amazing. (laughs) What's your go-to guilty pleasure food? Oof. It depends on the day, but usually it's either like some sort of burger or pizza. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like my, when I'm feeling like, you know, I want to, I want to go all in or like, yeah. Or like tacos, you know, like going. It's like guilty. Tacos here. It's guilty pleasure. It's guilty for tacos. Ah. It's, it's guilty how much I eat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Not 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 what I'm eating. So probably I will have like two burgers and like two fries and a milkshake, okay, or I will it. have like two pieces by myself <laughs> or twenty tacos. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> any any recent cookbooks that have caught your eyes and inspired you? Yes, David Thompson's Thai Street Food. Mm-hmm. I, my wife is half Thai, half Irish. My mother-in-law is, is born in Thailand. And definitely they're influencing my life. You can see it in my cooking somehow. I found ways okay. to like incorporate some of my experience of like, you know, eating with them, like, and all of these things. And I, I believe I, I'm a big defender of, and ambassador for like Central America, my country. But if I'm very objective, I feel like when you talk to Asian cooking, and when I say Asian cooking, I'm talking about every single Asian uh, country in the world. I don't think there is a more advanced when it comes to techniques, and different kind of techniques and ways of cooking and everything. Like nothing compares to Asians. I think like they truly have like absolutely, you know, they have an answer for everything. And, and you can always going to find something that, it feels that it's coming out of like the craziest chef in the world mind, you know, okay. and it's probably like something that's been done forever. And this book, uh, I love it because it, he, it's not him trying to interpret like street food from Thailand. It's him telling the stories of these amazing, uh, street foods and all these techniques from like sour sausage, which is like fermented. Or like the preservation of this other ingredient or so on, so on. And it's just like, I just got it. And to be honest, I already been through it like three times. And I'm just like trying to find a way to incorporate those techniques and things in, in what I do so badly. Well, <laughs> like, <really>. Okay. <laughs> What's your biggest pet, pet peeves in the, in the kitchen? For me, it's very simple. Just like 
if somebody's not working clean, you know, like it, it drives me crazy. Like if I see like you're standing, you're working on the table and there is like a stain on the table and you've been there working for like 40 minutes. It's like, just please clean it. Like, doesn't bother you. Like, it's bothering me. <laughs> or like, if you walk through, like, if, if there's like a piece of paper on the floor and people walks by it, like nonstop and nobody picks it up, I'll go like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, don't do this. <laughs> but I think like cleanliness is probably like the one thing. I think everything else, you know, everybody's in their own journey. So everybody has like different levels of experiences. So I don't judge skill i judge passion attitude but yeah definitely like please work clean <laughs> like, okay. that's all some, something anybody can do <laughs> what's one lesson from your culinary journey that continues to resonate with you today like a positive one just keep humble you know like you're never there you're never there you know like if, if you ever think you you're there like that that's when I think you start going downhill and I I did make that mistake at some point thinking that I was like, oh, cool, I got it, you know, and and then you realize like, oh, no, trust me, like keep evolving, keep yourself humble, make sure you always try to do better because there's always like hungrier people trying to, you know, get attention and make the restaurants busier than yours. And at the end, it is it is a very competitive world. So you got to keep yourself Okay. And, you know, people love to give lessons as well. So, or advice. So, if there is a time that you, there was a worst advice that you have seen or heard that was given to you or, you know, in the hospitality uh, industry? The worst? Hmm. I don't know. To be honest, like, I don't remember having like a really bad advice given to me. I feel like even. When I was being, you know, when I was a younger cook and I made mistakes, like I, I always found a way to turn everything like into a positive. I would say like the one thing that maybe it was not a bad advice, but when I was like my first year of having, uh, Don De Jose, um, I had a food critic, very famous. I won't name his name just in case, <laughs> uh, coming from, uh, Spain. And I remember like everybody was like truly loving what I was doing. And, you know, being in Latin America, we use a lot of acidity. We use a lot of like sweet in our cooking. And I was doing all these things that became very common in my cooking. And when he came to the Jose, he was like the one person that at least in my face told me like, oh, you do too much of this, too much acid, too much sweet, blah, blah. And I think like I decided to pay too much attention to him. And I kind of like abandoned for a while, like a little bit of my essence based on the opinion of one person. The good side is that it allowed me to explore a lot of other different things outside of my comfort zone. So I'm always grateful for that. But then like as time has passed, like I started like slowly like getting back to those things that I felt like were, were very important in my cooking, you know? So I don't know if that's considered bad advice, but definitely was, I took it almost as an advice, even though it was a comment. My last question for you. Is there a chef in the LA area that you dream of collaborating with? Oof, there's so many. But let me think. I would say probably the chef from Providence. 
LA to Michelin star restaurant. Okay. Michael, I, I'm always pronouncing his name wrong, so I'm sorry. It's like Michael Sitz. See the musky, see that's like if you look Providence, LA, and I'm sorry, Chef, if you ever hear this, I don't know how to say your last name. But yeah, I just freaking love what they're doing. I've never been there. Sierra Musti. Uh, so Michael Sierra Musti. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sierra Musti. And I mean, I just love because they, I think what I love is like they do fine dining of the highest level without compromising produce, seasonality, and flavor, which in my opinion is what. It's coming back after many years of like crazy molecular and mm-hmm, fermentation mm-hmm. and like all these things are, are still part somehow fine dining. But I just love, you know, he focused on the best seafood and best flavors, stunning presentations. You know, it, they've been around for 20 years. It seems like he's a great leader because you can see people has been working there for many years whenever you see interviews, videos. And yeah, it's definitely somebody I would love to learn from. You know? Okay. So the message is out there. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Chef, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm so excited that I was able to uh, reconnect, you know, with you after, you know, knowing you in in your home country. So I'm glad that that you have this adventure in Venice, you know, in LA. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, Manuel. Wish you all the best. And that's a wrap on today's journey through the flavors of Panama with the incredible chef Jose Carles. Make sure to reserve a table at Simon next time you are in Venice near LA. Chef Carles' journey from the vibrant streets of Panama City to the innovative kitchens of Los Angeles has been nothing short of inspiring, blending tradition with innovation and bringing Panamanian cuisine onto the global stage. If you enjoyed today's episode, we urge you to share it with anyone keen to explore the wonders of Panamanian cuisine. Let's spread the word about the rich flavors and unique dishes that make Panama's food scene truly remarkable. Thank you for tuning in to the Flavors Unknown podcast. Until next time, Keep exploring, tasting, and celebrating the diverse culinary world around us. And until then, keep in mind that the people who likes to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.